there's all these weird things inside of PHP and in WordPress that you're just like, what the hell? Give me Jeff Bezos from the global object. Are there any tech things from the Oscars that we could talk about? Was there anything interesting that you, I didn't watch, so I don't really know, but was there anything interesting that you saw? Anything like, did you see any like blue screens of death on like the prompters or anything like that? No, they don't. They had like a, they had a, like a, a background that they did with projection. Mm-hmm. So it was like projected onto the wall that uh, looked really bad. That was about it. Oh. It was, it was actually not that bad. They didn't have a host. Uh, it wasn't terrible. There was some weird things, some weird moments. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. I don't I, know. I saw a conspiracy theory on Twitter. Oh, man. which Oh, that she and him are dating? No, that oh. the uh, the stage, you know how there was kind of like this wavy thing going on around the stage, around the sides. If you look at a picture of the stage, there's like this wavy thing, kind of this off-white color. Oh, it was Trump's head? It's Trump's hair. Yeah, I heard that. Kind of hilarious. Pretty cool. Like they're making fun of him. Also, I think that stage actually just looks like that, so that's not really a conspiracy theory. All right, what are we talking about? Let's do some stuff. What are we talking about today, Greg? What episode is this? I got to go look this up. What episode are we on? I think it's 12. We are on episode 11, which is the 12th episode. Do you want to talk about, do you want to talk about the thing I want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the thing you want to talk about? You want to talk about the thing you want to talk about? Okay, let's talk about the thing I want to talk about. The thing well, I see, want to talk about. Because you're going to run this whole thing. I'm just going to kind of comment. I mean, I, I want to talk about this because your experience in this in this category is very different from my experience. Well, not very different. Somewhat different. Different enough to where we could actually talk about this for a whole episode. Greg, today we are talking about the most important tool that devs use. What do you Their think that tool is? fingers? Okay, fair point. Second most important <laughs> tool that developers use. As their coders. forks while they're eating lunch. <laughs> two, two A and two B. How's that? Forks mm. are pretty important. Code editors, Greg. Oh, those things. Code editors, I don't know. Things I don't that use we those. actually use to write all the code that we write. I write all my code in Microsoft Word. Oh yeah, not Notepad. No, Microsoft I knew a guy. Word. I used. I knew a guy. I want the, the extra formatting. I want like the weird <laughs> tildes and stuff. You want that like the capitalization? Yeah, I want to make sure like, that it just can't be used. You wanted to tell you that you have to yeah. put a period. At the I end submit of the Word docs to get your JSX file. Every time I do code, I'm like, I submit it only through. Word docs to oh my GitHub. God. And then someone has to parse it. Like a dot doc or dot docx? Docx. Docx, oh yeah. For sure. Do you know that a docx is actually an XML file? Is it really? Yeah, that's why it's docx. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Do you know that the docs are bins, they're binaries? The day I learned. Bins are just, no, the docs, dot doc is a custom format, it's a bin. It's like a bin of data. Yeah. And then a docx is actually an XML file. So that's why things like Google Docs and like and like Office 365, you can just export those to whatever yeah. instead of them being a native file format and having to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, Google spent a ton of time figuring out how to format Google's or, uh, words like formatting that it uses, but it's basically just a Word doc. It's like a docx file or a XML file. And then there's like a content block. And then in the content block, there's like paragraphs and paragraphs are XML nodes. And then in there, there's text. And you can output. 
you can output it to whatever you want. And then the attributes like bold and italic are applied to the paragraphs. Oh man. It's literally a, I mean, you can't like, I don't think you can just, I never actually tried to look at it like in text mode to see what it looks like inside. Maybe I should do that. To look at a Google doc in text mode. Yeah. You just change it to dot text and click on it. I think it's like, it, it's not perfectly a. That'd be some like weird. It's like, like a, super set of, of XML. Like they added on some stuff. Yeah, to make it's it more like a, flexible it's like a wrapped. Yeah. If you convert it to text, it opens in uh, just text mode. Open it with sublime text. Ooh, it's a binary. I think what it is is it's a it's a doc it's an XML file that's inside of a compressed binary, so you can't just like look at it. If you turn it into a text file, it looks good. it looks like a bin. Today I learned. Today I learned. That makes a lot of sense, though. Greg, why would you not want to write code in Microsoft Word and write it in a proper code editor? What are the differences? Because, you know, we've got developers out there that are going, well, you know, everything I've typed for any sort of purpose up until my dev life, I've typed in Microsoft Word, so why would I change now? What was the first text editor ever used? It was the one that had the strawberry for the icon. Let's see. No idea. Uh, the reason why you'd want to use it is because it uh, formats things. It understands different languages. It understands how to highlight things. Assuming it's not like VS Code. It doesn't work. You know. Smoltron. Slander. Smoltron is the first text. Smoltron. It was like a free text editor because that was before Sublime came out. And Sublime was like legitimately pretty dope. And then Smoltron understood how to like format HTML and CSS. It was like designed to make websites. Moltron. And this is native to OS X? Back yeah, back it was like then? an OS X thing. It just came in the box? Interesting. No, it doesn't come in the box. Oh, it doesn't come in the box. Nothing comes in the box. Very interesting, Greg. I mean, except for like a whole, you know, music editor. I didn't think of what the first... Word document Like non-notepad thing that I used. You even get like an Excel type thing for free on a Mac. You can make music. You can make videos. You get QuickTime. What do any of those things have to do with code editing? I'm just saying you get a lot of cool stuff uh, out of a Mac. But yeah, but not Smoltron though. Not Smoltron, no. That's unfortunate. No, no, not Smoltron. I want to say that, because I got in the coding game a little bit later than you did. So I want to say that the first editor that I really did a lot of work in. Sublime. No, it was before that. Oh. It, there was one called, and I think it still exists. There was one called Adobe Brackets. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember that one. That was when they were trying to make like a, a slim version of something because there, what was their other one? Uh, actually, Brackets looks pretty cool. Brackets was actually not terribly bad. This was the one that came out like right at the same time as what's the other one you were talking about? Adam. Mm -hmm. It came out like right before Adam. Yeah, it it it, it kind of came out a little bit later in life, but the, the neat trick that Brackets did, it had this button that did a live uh, browser preview for whatever Ooh. you were working on. So it was, like a one, it was like a button in the sidebar. It was like, click on this and it would pop a browser and it would, it would open up your HTML file in the browser for you. So you, you wouldn't have to like go find it and then open it in the browser. I'm downloading it. So you know what they're going to be like? They're like, somebody downloaded brackets. Yeah. What? Yeah. The team is going to be so, oh man. Adobe really holler at us. We got, we got users on deck ready to go. Ready Their to servers are downloading point. at a, there's two minutes left for a 77 megabyte file. So either well, you have really bad internet here or... My internet's fine. I have no one's downloaded this file in a long time. And I'm populating the edge cache right now. 
or they don't even have an edge cache and they just have it rate limited like a Mo. Because they don't really care if your download speed is really slow. I mean, you can down, I guess you can, I could download it directly from GitHub. It actually wasn't. Oh, that's way faster. Yeah, their server just sucks. It says three minutes to download it on their server, nine seconds on GitHub. Yeah. That makes sense. Though. You don't want to spend, you don't want to spend your server budget on something as niche as that, especially since well, it's a free product. I mean, if you're delivering it to brackets, just make the link. Maybe you can't download things off GitHub unless it's on GitHub. Maybe. And they don't want to send people to GitHub. I mean, what? They think people don't know, know what GitHub is? Maybe. That's 29,572 stars. Is that a lot? For, yeah. I mean, it's that's a lot for a repo. Yeah. 2,283 open issues. Two days ago, someone opened an issue about Flexbox. Yeah, I haven't used it in many, many years, so I don't really, I haven't kept up with it, but it was pretty good from when I started, when I was starting out with very basic HTML and CSS and a tiny bit of JavaScript and jQuery. Wow, this guy's actually asking why Flexbox doesn't work in his code, but inside of, inside of brackets. Like in the preview? I've just, wait, it says, uh, I've just downloaded brackets and I'm quite new to coding. I'm trying to work with flex and brackets, but for some reason it doesn't work, question mark. C, the letter C, capped, Attached file. Attached file, not attached. Is there an extension or what should I do? And it's just box flex. That's not, that's not what no, Flexbox is. You don't he say box flex. Up, yeah, he hasn't set up his Flexbox correctly. No, it literally he's using a class called box da- or the property called box, box dash flex, box dash orient. That's, uh, I would. Should I, should I reply and be the helpful? Maybe. Or do, do we want to have him get in touch with us? Do we want to call this person's name out? No, I don't want to be. In oh, any, okay. I don't want to have anything to do with this. <laughs> Not to be a hater. We legitimately want to help this guy. It's like, hey, we can nah. teach you. Greg knows a lot about CSS. If you listen to episode eight of our podcast called CSS is Hard, you'll listen to Greg talk about CSS. So we want to help you, friend. We want to teach you the ways of Flexbox. Greg will teach you. Totally. I'm really, on, I'm really into that. So why don't you answer some questions about editors? Why do you think that editors are useful? Editors Alberto? are super useful. Yeah, which ones? All of them. There are a couple. I've I've had quite a bit quite a bit of a journey, you would say. Wow, I downloaded it and it immediately I downloaded it straight from GitHub and it literally immediately said update available. Hey, there's a new build of brackets available. Here are some new features. Windows only. I'm not on a Windows computer. I should be able to This update includes fixes to improve overall performance of brackets from launch to key coding workflows. Key coding workflows. Yeah, I literally don't like, I never wrote any React in brackets, so I don't really know. Um, but some of the features that I liked about brackets initially, and we'll, we'll keep going after this. Uh, live preview button. I just clicked it. Which was super neat. Uh, split window pane so you can look at two files at the same time. That was pretty cool. Um, I just installed Monokai. I want to say... Does it have a command palette? Does it oh, have a, I don't think it has a command palette. No command palette. I want to say that some of the keyboard shortcuts were like not terrible. And that's the thing that I liked about it, which you'll see as our conversation progresses, that keyboard shortcuts are a very important part of. What are keyboard shortcuts? Well, they're these things where you click more than one key at the same time and it does fun things for you. There's a lot of typing out code and writing code is about just manipulating text. Not in a sense of like, I'm going to write a sentence, I'm going to write a word, I'm going to write a sentence, I'm going to put a period. How do you change the theme? I downloaded a theme, but it did not. Open. I literally Add haven't touched that editor in probably four years. Well, do better. Anyway, it was pretty good for the time. I enjoyed using it. I think what 
I switched from that was I switched to Sublime from from Brackets, and I was marvel. I marveled at the the speed of Sublime, and I really liked Monokai as a. I do not like Monokai. How long did it take you to pay for Sublime? I paid for Sublime with. I play. I paid for supply after I got my first paycheck from the company that uh, hired me. So your company didn't pay for Sublime. For no, you? actually, you know what? They, I think there was some sort of situation where they thought they were going to pay for a bunch of tools for people, and then that didn't really fault. That didn't really like happen. But I think my logic was that if I'm going to use this tool to make money, like in my career, I should probably pay the person who is making this for me. That was my logic behind it. But yeah, I I started paying for it because before that I was just cancel out that 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 trial box every single time which i know people who to this day still just do that i know people that to this day do that yeah yeah hey if you're out there and you're using sublime to make money in your career pay them i mean they literally have like one time fee of 60 dollars even if it's more than i think it's like 70 or 80 dollars now even if it is it's once and you have it forever hey google how much is sublime text Anyways, even if it's like a hundred dollars, it's worth it once forever to make money I in your career. It's hundred percent worth it. Don't be cheap. People. 60. I don't like think it's 60 that bad. or 70, something like that. It's totally worth it. But sublime was really good because it was, it's, it's really fast. Like the, it, cause it's a native app for whatever platform you're on. It's not an mm-hmm. electron app. So all the renderings and things are very, very fast. Um, it actually has a little bit of a different keyboard shortcut paradigm. Like it has a couple of unique ones that I haven't seen. It was the first time I ever used multi-select. Yeah. Multi-select was the big kind of like splashy feature that it had. I actually surprisingly don't really use, well, actually, no, that's a lie. I do use multi-select quite a bit. I, use I didn't use multi-cursor that much. No, I don't use multi-cursor, but I use mul- I like select multiple words and then change them all. Yeah. So like I'll select like all five instances of like whatever I named that class and then change them all at the same time. I do that all the time. So the keyboard shortcut story in Sublime is very important for me because I have to this day carried forward these Sublime keyboard shortcuts into subsequent editors, right? So Sublime had the the multi-select. It had um, like highlight line, like highlight the whole line that you're on. Yeah which I ended up using quite a bit. Um, it had weird ones like highlight this, uh, like if it was HTML, it would say like highlight the div inside of this thing. Yep. Highlight, uh, like that was ha- a, highlight everything inclo- enclosed, enclosed in by, the nearest whatever yeah. would be your enclosing. It had that one. You could move a line up and down. Yeah, I use like that. Like you take the line and actually day. flip it up and down in, in, the, in the file, which was super helpful. So yeah, those things... Made me fall in love with using Sublime. I paid for it. I've used it a long time. Um, I still do to an extent use it, but I have switched to some other tools as well. I actually, these days I'm primarily on Visual Studio Code, mm. which I was not, I, I was not one of these people that switched to Visual Studio Code right away and like just left in the dust. I actually, there's a period of about a year where I was on switching back and forth between Sublime and Visual Studio Code. Like there was a a larger kind of, what I'll call a legacy project at this point that uh, I would write the code in, in visual studio code. And then there were some newer projects that were 
like some of the first React projects that I wrote, I would use... No, I have that backwards. I wrote the Legend Conceit project in Sublime, and I wrote the newer React stuff in Visual Studio Code because some of the features in Visual Studio Code are very, very tuned to writing modern-day JavaScript, whether it be React, Vue, Angular. I've actually written all three of those in Visual Studio Code. They all have some really nice features that help out with that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm almost 100% on Visual Studio Code at this point. It's been my main editor for... I'll say probably the last six to eight months or so. Yeah. It's just been getting better and better. I think one of the things that still blows my mind is that they have monthly updates to the software every single month for the last, what, three years? I think the thing that blows my mind about it, I don't use it as ton as much as you do, but the thing that blows my mind about it is that they actually made Electron work. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah, which Adam failed to do. So Adam was one of the first... The first? One of the first. I think it was the first Electron app. The first Electron-based I think they, code editor. I thought they built Electron. Didn't... It was GitHub that built Atom. GitHub built Atom on top of Electron. I thought they built Electron to make Atom. I don't know what the family tree is there. But I know that Atom was one of the first Electron-based code editors. And Electron, for those who don't know, is designed to be a, a desktop wrapper, if you will, of essentially a website or any website. And so you can use that to build things like code editors or chat. Yeah, I mean the biggest the biggest like thing I think because I'm pretty sure probably have to look this up, but I'm pretty sure that they built Electron for Atom, or they at least severely contributed to it. One of the two, because I'm pretty sure that that was the that was what I remember as a lineage is that they built Electron for Atom, or they built Atom, and then they were like, oh, the thing that Atom is built on is called Electron. Here you go. And then that was why Visual Studio Code came in and was like, oh, I can make that Atom thing for that that Electron thing faster. And that their proof of concept, like their hackathon, was VS Code. If I remember this correctly, they built VS Code at a, at a Microsoft hackathon oh. to prove that they could make Electron run faster. I didn't know that. That's all just from memory, so it could totally be wrong, but that's sounds, what I thought it was. Right, though. And then the other thing that was built in Electron after that doesn't have the same speed as VS Code is... Obviously, Slack. That's the biggest. Yeah, Slack's the big one. Uh, Spotify is in Electron now. Yeah, I think it always was, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. They had native clients before, but then they well, the fired, desktop one was the always. desktop one. Yeah, so they fired their last. Uh, and I don't know if these two things are related. This is kind of a tangent, but they fired their last uh, Linux desktop client developer. And then magically, like two weeks later, they had uh, an update for the Linux desktop version of Spotify, and it was Electron. Was that really magic, or was that planned? I mean, it's probably planned. But the thing is, they only had... And there was a story about this. I remember I read this in the, in the trades, in the Linux trades. Uh, they only had one developer working on the Linux desktop mm. client for the you longest really, time, for like really, two years. You seem to really, really love these weird one-off Linux client stories. It's just interesting how something that should not be such a hassle to maintain on multiple OSs ends up being a hassle to maintain on multiple OSs. I mean, I do appreciate that I can listen to Spotify on my Linux computer. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. You can I use mean, Skype too. Skype, I can use the Skype, website. Skype's, uh, Skype's desktop client, I think across all platforms now is, is Electron. Hmm. That happened after they bought GitHub. So, Well, then everybody in the world complains about how bad Skype is. Well, the old client wasn't much better. The old the client... Thing. 
had a lot of things going for it. It was not pretty. It didn't like wasn't fast and it wasn't pretty, but it like you could do all kinds of like people used to record podcasts on it. People still do record podcasts. I know, but on they complain. They all complain about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've I've listened to podcast episodes where audio will cut out or they'll have to like cut a piece out because somebody got dropped. And the worst is when somebody like I listen to uh, a podcast for Destiny, um, and they record on Discord. I don't think they record on Discord. I think they record on like some other thing, but they like use Discord to visually see each other. And then I think they also do pass audio through it. Like they don't listen to the monitoring. I don't know what they do, but they they're probably all do something with recording Discord. their own end of the conversation. But isn't that hard to, to sync up? Isn't that the whole point? No, you do claps. So do this with me, Greg. No, I'm holding the microphone so I can lean back. So what you do is that in this order to sync me, that up, this keeps me from using my computer. At the beginning of um, recording, this is a trick from actually from like filmmaking and stuff. Is you do claps. Yeah, people are not going to like that. And which, well, it, it doesn't make it into the final thing, but what it no, does you're, is that, that one's going to make it into the final thing. I'm going to cut them out. Don't worry. So you're going to be like, I did claps and then. Or I will just turn them down. It's fine. Oh, okay. It's fine. I know I know what I'm doing, Greg. Do you? So what happens is that you see the claps in the waveform. You yeah. see these spikes and you just line up the spikes and but, then the whole rest of the audio is lined up. Do you like resync? Like what if there's drift? There shouldn't be drift because each person is independently recording their own audio. So there's no drift. You can make a little spot adjustments there, here and there if it gets too too out of hand, but it really shouldn't because all you're doing is recording your local audio. Hmm. What if my computer's clock cycle clocks really, really, really fast? Well, you do have a really... What if my sample rate's 9 million? You, sh- you don't need to record. I, I, I record only record at, us at 44.1. I recorded in 192. You don't need to record us in 192. Everything I've ever recorded for you is 192. You don't even know. This is why I insist on us doing these things together because then I can kind of control the audio and make sure everything is good. Dude, if we record it from my Windows computer, I'm pretty sure it's like set to something weird like 96 or 192. I don't know why. You absolutely do not need to record a podcast I don't know why. Podcast audio it's what it was at. Time. I didn't set it. I don't no, it's know. It's fine. It's fine. It, it's funny because I've heard podcasts recorded at 44.1. I've heard podcasts recorded at 48. I've heard podcasts recorded at 96. I've had heard podcasts recorded at 196. And they all sound the same. Mm. All sound exactly the same. I think Marco Armand had a a thread once where he was talking about all the various reasons why he only they only record at forty four one. Um, it was probably riveting. No, I, I think he had some compatibility problems. Which, when you're at that level and have that main downloads, and like he manages their own like distribution and stuff, so uh, it makes sense. But I've also seen other podcasts that record at insanely high rates and the files are, you know, 200 megs or whatever. They sound exactly the same. Doesn't What are they, why do they record at that rate too? And we're also getting know. off topic, but we're getting super off topic. Uh, one of them I know off the top of my head is uh, like a, about uh, like audio and music production. So mm, maybe they just think it sounds better. People? I don't know. It does, I don't think it really sounds that much better. They record in stereo. They're like, we cannot do mine. I think they actually do. I think that's part of it. But the file sizes are crazy. Like our file sizes are usually about 40 megs per hour which is normal, right? Hmm. This person's uh, podcast, I'm pretty sure is somewhere between 100 and 120 megs per hour. That's crazy. Crazy. You don't, you don't get any additional benefit out of that. Anyways, code editors, yeah, Electron. Yeah. How do we get to that? Electron, Spotify, music. Okay. Electron is this new thing. People start writing code editors in it. 
Adam was one of the first ones. The thing that I found out and I've read, I'm probably going to have imperfect recollection on this, is that they did some sort of implementation with the front-end layer, so the, the, the quote-unquote HTML part of the editor. And the way that they implemented did not allow them to really tune the performance of the rendering to be super, super fast. They just wanted to get text on a screen. And then when you hit a backspace for it to clear out one character, and then when you hit a character to have it show up. And they really weren't thinking about performance long-term in the architecture. And that's why they haven't been able to prove it because it's a fundamental like architectural problem with... Wait, Adam or... No, Adam. Yeah, yeah you a, said it's, VS Code. So I was like, wait, what? Oh, no, it's an Adam thing. I thought you were saying they were going to like serendipitously fall in like some really fast rendering engine on accident. No, but... Uh, VS Code went a different route with how they had the actual render occur, right? And uh, the way that they architected it was, I want to say the correct way, but a, a different way, potentially a smarter way that allowed them to um, really make performance gains every single month with these monthly updates. Like just getting a little bit, a little bit faster, a little bit, a little bit faster every single month. They've even changed the renderer in the actual integrated terminal as well. So I actually got a pop-up. It's actually today at work. Uh, I got a little notification saying that the default renderer for the terminal is running kind of slow. Do you want to use this fallback renderer? I was like, oh, what is this fallback renderer? Like it's flash renderer. It's like a different renderer. Like I, I think it doesn't like blink the cursor or something. I don't know. I didn't visually see any difference in it, but the, the terminal ran fine after that. Hmm. So. so they were trying a new one and it didn't work? I don't know. I think they have multiple renderers. Which I think is interesting for just the terminal part. So that was the other thing about Visual Studio Code that made a really big impact for me is that that was the first code editor that I had used that had an integrated terminal window. Oh, man. Which all of you JetBrains people are just like... Like, what are you yawn. doing with your lives? Yawn, so yawn, yawn. Oh, my goodness. It's so easy. I actually don't use the... Uh, I use IntelliJ primarily, but I do not use the... I never use the internal terminal, and there's a reason why. Why is that? Because if you're, say you're like, okay, I'm going to run everything through the internal terminal and you're like, I'm going to do yarn watch or I'm going to do whatever, or I'm running Docker, whatever you want. Imagine that your editor crashes for whatever reason. It detaches all those processes. That's terminates true. terminates them. That's true. So I li- like strong, strong, strongly only, only use iTerm for my terminal. Or just a separate terminal in general. I, just, I use iTerm, but yeah. I use iTerm permanently, never use console... I mean, console's gotten a lot better, the one that's just built into Mac, but I've just used iTerm forever, iTerm 2, for like five years now. How often does your IntelliJ crash? Not really often, but sometimes you'll close it because you'll be like, oh, I want to update this. Like, say it'll be like, it'll show a pop-up and be like, oh, this package is ready to update. And one of the things that IntelliJ does that's really annoying is that it's just the way that it's built because it's built in, uh, I think it's, it's built in Kotlin, but it's basically some subsystems of, of it are built just in Java. So like there's parts of it that are built in Kotlin, parts that are built in just old Java. And the way that it works, it can't update a package without restarting the editor. Because there isn't like, it doesn't have like a OSGI runtime environment or something that's running the plugins. Uh, whereas like on VS Code, if you update a package, I don't think it has to reboot the whole editor. And even if it does, it just like literally... It's this like reloads command the window, but actually the January update uh, actually removes the necessity to reload the window when you install a new package. You still have to reload the window if you uninstall a package, but when you install a new package, you do not have to reload the window. It probably anymore. just injects it into the runtime, but like 
when it changes it, it has to stop the process and restart it. Yeah. But even with that, VS Code starts really fast. So there's, so basically like my editor lineage is that I used, like I was joking, I used Smoltron for like a minute while I was learning uh, how to code. And then when I kind of like, once Sublime was out, I bought it like immediately. I used it, I used the demo for like 10 minutes and bought it because I don't like, I'm like, I'm with you. I don't believe in not paying for tools that I use. Like the, com- the company could even offer to buy me software and I would just be like, no, I'm going to buy my own. Because when you, whatever tools you use, you'd get to take with you. Yeah. So you get really used to this tool and you're like, well, oh, you know, the company was paying for my license for IntelliJ. So therefore now I have to like switch IntelliJ sync accounts and like, is no, it's all my stuff. So I buy my own editors. I don't buy my own computers. That's the only difference. Like they provide a computer and I use that, but everything else on it that isn't like, doesn't come with a computer from them you know, Norton antivirus and all the stuff they install on it. Like, except for that crap that they put on it, everything else I buy myself. Anything that I use, I pay for myself. But either way, I bought Sublime pretty much right away. And I used it from pretty much right when I first heard of it. I think it was Sublime Text 2, because now they have three. So it was like when, so one had been out, was kind of like not that well known. And then two came out and everybody was like, whoa, this thing's crazy. Yeah. So the minute I heard about it, I bought it. And then I used two for probably like two more, two years after that, three years maybe. And then they stopped updating it. Like the guy disappeared for a little while. And even now it's like, he doesn't really do a whole lot of updates to it. Well, the guy who did the uh, extension system for Sublime, he is now part of the Sublime company. So there are two devs on it now. Mm. So that's where the newest stuff came out. It's funny that you mentioned that version because I started out on the three beta. Three beta was in beta for, I think, 26 years, 27 years, something like that. I was using the three beta the whole time. Once three beta came out, I'm pretty big on using beta stuff for like things that I use for work. Like if it's IntelliJ beta, I don't use like their EPs or anything because I... Like they aren't really adding any. Most of the time they add things to IntelliJ that are for Java. So it's not like I really need anything. But um, once they released Sublime Text 3 beta, I just downloaded it because I had free access to it while it was in beta because I had Sublime Text 2 license. You got like a notification for it? Yeah, they no, they sent like an email or something and they were like, oh, we have Sublime Text 3 beta. Do you want to try it? And I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And I downloaded it. I had them both because it was like two apps. It was Sublime Text and then Sublime or two and then they had Sublime Text 3. And the prefs were different because they installed like two them. different applications. It was literally two yeah. different applications. So you had both for a little while. And then sooner or later, I was like, well, three works fine. So I don't know why I'm using two. And I just switched to three. But the thing was in two, you used to have to install the package control, which is what you were saying. The guy yeah. who made that now works for them. Like you had to actually install package control via like a hack, like in the, in, in the, in editor. It didn't have you a terminal. You had to terminal. put it in the console. It had like a Python console. You had to put it in there. And then uh, you would get the package control thing and it was kind of weird. But then when 3 came out, package control was in it. The other thing that 3 brought, I think, was... What was the other big thing that it had? Um, it was the package control and... Maybe some theming stuff? That's the only thing no, I think themes top. were already there. I think it was just... I don't remember what it had. But I, I started using it. I, it was on the tip of my tongue a second ago. I forgot. But I started using 3 and then I used it for like... 
I used it for like a year or two after that. And it never like went in, it never came off beta for like a long time. So yeah. then he, and then he stopped like making updates to it. So it was like, it would run fine. Like it was feature complete. It ran fine. It didn't crash. It was really fast. And then Adam came out and Adam was cool mainly because there was a lot of like packages for Adam that were specifically geared towards web development for like react and things that people didn't like adapt to sublime fast enough. I feel because yeah. sublime was kind of like everybody jumped to Adam and then they realized that it was a garbage pile of speed, but they still used it because it was like, it worked really well. And then Facebook had uh, their like addition to it that they added that they used internally for a while. Like Facebook even adopted Adam and they had like, I forgot what it was called. It was like, oh, it was like some, some word like. I know what you're talking about and I have no idea. It was like I, molecule or something I, like that. Some nucleus or something. Nuclei, nuclide. Nuclide. There it is. They had that and then I used that for a while, but it was really annoying because nuclide was bound to like a lot of Facebook's like internal deployment systems that they like had public and they were like, oh, you could run this kind of deployment server, but you would never actually you if like, you were building another facebook well no like they had it was an open source build system but like you no one used it um, but either way like you could build test run and deploy code i think not deploy but like build run test all these things through the editor but it was with this facebook build tool it's kind of like ian or like maven but it was their thing um so they had that going on and then i used that for a little while and then VS Code came out. It was like some some combination. I think Adam was like fine when it first came out. And then when you started loading on plugins, it would become slower. Yeah. So then there was a certain point in time that I had a lot of plugins on it. And then I was like, well, this thing's running like garbage. It's taking, it doesn't, it's not like it takes a long time to like visually update the cursor, but it would take a long time to start. And it would like run into memory leaks sometimes. Yeah. If and, you ever tried to uh, like do a text search for an entire code base, it would crash. It would crash. Yeah. And like Sublime, there was, literally no limit to how large the file could be and it would syntax highlight it and no, be fine. stupid fast. Like it would, it would maybe take a minute to render the syntax highlighting, but no matter how much of like a minified JavaScript blob you had, it would just run. Yeah. And it would scroll perfectly and you could search it and it was amazing. Uh, I think that was part of it was the Python and like the regex stuff that they did to do searching and stuff and highlighting was just really fast. So I don't know. Uh, I used Adam for a little while and then... I think at one point in time, I switched back to Sublime because they finally started supporting it more. They were doing like... They, they released like an update. They I released what an you're update about, yeah. and then they started doing like more regular updates. So I switched back to Sublime, but then at that same time, I've whole time I've been using VS Code. So I kind of... Sorry, not VS Code. I've been using IntelliJ. So I kind of like divide my workload into like two avenues. So either if I'm scripting something, I'll use like maybe VS Code or Sublime. If I'm just like writing like a little jQuery script or if I'm like writing some kind of like little node project or something, I'll use VS code or sublime. But if I'm like actually working on a real project that has like multiple folders and different sections and like has different languages, like maybe the backends in Java or, you know, there is a uh, spring app in it for Java for some reason. And then there's a front end client that's something different or there's like a Python piece that's running something. And then, this, like whatever, IntelliJ supports all those things. It supports Python, PHP. I do a lot of PHP. Um, and IntelliJ has PyCharm, or sorry, PHP Storm. There's different, so the, the other thing, I was, you were asking me earlier to explain this, but IntelliJ JetBrains has like different versions of the editor. It's all basically based on IntelliJ. Because like Android Studio is even based on IntelliJ. Yeah. So there's like these different subsets of 
the core of what IntelliJ is that are like stripped down features that they sell as cheaper editors. So they have PyCharm, I think is the cheapest one, like 60 bucks, I think, but it only literally only does Python. And if you're a Python dev, that's great. It has a bunch of cool things that it supports that works for Python really well, like IPython notebooks and all the stuff it supports. And then they have WebStorm, which supports like jQuery, JavaScript, Node, etc. But the one thing that really annoys me about WebStorm is it doesn't support PHP, which is kind of dumb because you're like, well, if I'm a web developer, I'm probably using WordPress and JavaScript and all these things. But if you go one level above WebStorm, you get PHP Storm, which is literally WebStorm with PHP. So those two always annoyed me because PHP Storm's like we used to be like 89 bucks, but WebStorm's like 69. Something like that or 79. So it's like, just come on, just make one that's 89 or whatever and just have both. Just make WebStorm support PHP and get rid of PHP Storm. But one of the things that was good about it is that they would strip out a lot of the features. Basically, they're adding more core plugins that slow it down slightly. So in IntelliJ? In each version. So like oh. PyCharm runs like really fast. So does Android Studio. They both run like really fast, but literally they only do one thing. So they only, the part that really slows... I'm gonna skip. I'll, I'll skip that. I'm gonna get to that in a second. So then they go. They go from like individual languages like RubyMine, PyCharm, WebStorm, like, uh, and then I think there's C Sharp. There's like ReSharper. There's like one for C C Sharp. But either way, they have like all of those things that support one language, and then they have this crazy one called IntelliJ Ultimate, and they also have Community and they have these other things. But IntelliJ itself is a Java editor first and foremost. But it also, because it's their premier product, supports PHP, Python, Java, Ruby, like everything. You basically have no limit to the amount of plugins you can install with IntelliJ. So they'll have like the stuff that makes RubyMine RubyMine is just a plugin you install in IntelliJ and you can run Ruby. So you can imagine that if you're doing a project that maybe has like a, a spring backend and... Uh, like a, like a React front end, IntelliJ can support both in the same, literally the same editor. But just IntelliJ though, not any of the other ones. Well, it depends. Like that's what I'm saying. Like PHP Storm can support like a React front end and like a Laravel PHP back end in the same editor. But not a Java back But not a Python one. But not a Python one. And not a Java one. So I just have always had IntelliJ Ultimate. At one point in time, I had their like all products, all products license. It seems like yeah, if you're going to be in the JetBrains ecosystem, you would just go for IntelliJ and just not worry about it. Yeah, but sometimes like if I am doing a Python project, like if I was told today that I was going to work on a project and you're going to be working in Django for like the next year, I would just use PyCharm. Interesting. Because I think PyCharm also supports React. Because you use it sometimes in Django. So like it, it can use like some of the front end stuff, but it doesn't support PHP. So like if you're working at a company that for some reason had a microservice that's in Lumen, which is Laravel in PHP, and then it had another microservice that's in Python, you'd be screwed if you had PyCharm. It just seems odd to break it down that it way. It does. It's always felt very odd to me. I feel like what they should do, what they should have done all along is they should have either, because it gets into what I was saying earlier that I kind of skipped on is that when you use IntelliJ, it's a little bit bloated because it supports Java. And then the more core plugins you add, like, Python, PyCharm, or Python, Ruby, Java, front-end stuff, it starts to slow down because you have these like really big packages that are running that are trying to figure out like, you know, what editor mode am I supposed to be in? So you'll have like 
twig files might compete with like something else because they're the same kind of extension or similar syntax highlighting. So it gets a little confused. So I've always wanted the ability for IntelliJ to be able to say like, for this particular project, you're running in PyCharm mode. For this particular project, you're running in PHP Storm mode. So like this project has PHP, React, front-end stuff, but you know, like no Java. And you can just turn off Java. But because Java is so integral to IntelliJ Ultimate, you can't turn it off. So what I'm getting at is that it supports so many things, but it is a little bit slow sometimes. But it's not like once it actually gets running, it's not slow. But it's like when you first turn it on, it has to index everything because it has like the ability to search across really like no matter how big the project is, it can search across everything really fast because it's constantly indexing. And it has pretty good support for like React and syntax highlighting. And it, it can actually like do crazy stuff like it figures out when you're, I think VS Code can do this too, but it figures out when you're using module aliases and it's like, oh, I know that like at slash styles is a, is a path I can read. It'll oh, like yeah, literally that's read. that Visual Studio Code hasn't figured out yet. I still, oh. I still run into that because I was doing a, I was doing something with TypeScript and I think that the TS lint was breaking on that path, that little trick that we used to alias like the at sign for a particular place in the tree. And it was not liking that. So I think I did do a little dance to get that thing working, but it didn't figure that out on its own. Like that kind of stuff IntelliJ figures out. It's like, oh, I noticed you have Webpack. Oh, Webpack has aliases. Oh, I noticed you're using a resolve loader. Boom. Oh, that file? I know where that is. You command click the file and it goes right to it. That's neat. So it does stuff like that. And a lot of that comes from the Java stuff because inside of Java, you can like command click any class, anything, and it'll go straight to that thing. And the crazy thing that IntelliJ does is and they warn you when you do this that but it will actually read bytecode of compiled java and recompute it as code so like you can be looking at like some internal compiled jar of like sun microsystem something and you command click the class and it'll go in and it'll parse the, the bytecode the actual compiled java files and it'll give you back something that looks like the source is it correct mostly <laughs> yeah it's not perfect because it's compiled like there's certain things in the language that are removed, but it's like, oh, I know that was like a class called this, and I know that like it had these properties and it returned these things, and it's like it's pretty damn accurate, yeah. That's cool. So they're so, getting sued by Oracle here pretty soon. No, no, then, no. Right? Like they say, like we can we can decompile bytecode, but it's your responsibility what you do with it. Because mm. it literally you can you can bytecode is interpreted, so it's like it's not like uh, it literally is a a thing that you can reverse back. You can like go the other direction, which you should like that. It makes sense that you should be able to well, do by, that. Bytecode is really just converted. It's converted Java code that's something that's like one level away from machine code. It's C virtual C++. machine code that goes, well, no, it compiles to the next level above, the next level below Java's bytecode. The machine code is assembly. Is it? But is it just C though, Greg? No, because it, it skips C. So the thing that runs Java is C. So it's something that's not just C. But the thing like that Java compiles into is not C. It's oh. called bytecode. Oh, something different. It's called machine. It's like byte machine code. I forgot what the exact term is. I think it's bytecode. But it's like a, it's like, well, that's where just-in-time compiling on your stupid Android phone comes from. Yeah, I said it. JIT is literally a Java thing. Just-in-time compiling. It takes the Java files, the APKs that make up all your apps. They're literally just war files. Yeah, I'm not going to go into Java. Fun times. But that anyways, fun. they're literally just, they're just jars. They yeah. have a different name. 
you can rename them dot you can rename a jar a zip and it'll extract oh man you can rename an apk a zip and it'll extract because that's all they are they're just zipped up packages bundles oh man and then signed that's the apks are signed that's the only difference oh man yeah when you say that your intellij is slow in these certain parts is it slower than adam uh it depends what you're doing like sometimes it can be slow but it's not always slow it's like if you change like say you were to do like a yarn build and you don't ignore a bunch of the folders inside of the project it'll try to index them all and while it's indexing it'll be slow that makes sense though vs code doesn't do that doesn't care yeah, it doesn't. Oh, I'm saying that it makes sense to be slow in that instance, whereas the things that Adam is slow in are things that you don't want to be slow. Yeah, it's not slow at typing as long as it's not indexing. Like, it's really fast. And if you try to, like, search your whole code base, it'll be fine. It'll be fine because it already indexed everything. Startup's a little slow? Startup is slightly slow, yeah. Because it's a, it's a big... It's, it's a, Java. I it's mean, a big editor. It's got to load a lot of stuff. That's why I really wish that they would let you pair back, like pieces of it and be like i don't i just for this project i don't care about java like why are you loading a kotlin parser i don't need that so it seems like they could do some sort of extension system kind of like how i guess adam kind of introduced this idea well not introduced but well even no because package control was separate Package yeah, but it was it was something that it was somebody it that had. somebody built on somebody built on yeah, top but of it was part of thing. it was part of it before it was part of it and well known that it was like basically part of Sublime, but it was still a third party thing. Like Adam and and Visual Studio Code both have like first party ecosystems around extensions, and that's kind of what makes them so powerful. Have you ever used Sublime without package control? I did use Sublime without package control for a long time. Did it have package control? Yeah, the three, the Sublime 3 beta that I used did not have package control installed. That's weird. When I had Sublime Text 3 beta, I, the guy had already made package control. Package control was installable on 3 before it became part of it. It was, in, it was always installable, but it didn't yeah, come with it. So you're just, yeah, I know, but the minute that I... I didn't know what package control was. Okay, this so is it was really... all the fault of your own. Because the minute oh, that I... part of it. Because <laughs> the minute that I had Sublime and I knew the package control existed and they had that website where you could search packages, I had it installed. And then when I went to 3, I installed it. Because cool. before he was part of the team, you could install package control 3 package control on Sublime Text 3. It was just easier to install. It was like a command you just It was ran. a script that you copied into the Python console and it would just install it. Yeah, but on 2, you had to do more work than that. Oh, really? Early on. Yeah, you had to do more things. The reason, and I'll tell you this right now and I'll admit this on air, the reason why I installed package control is I wanted different color themes for my editor. Let's let's not talk about color themes yet. That's how that's how vain I am. No, I, I think have, this is an important... No, I think this I is I have important. literally spent days... Taking someone's theme and just changing the colors. That's okay. Only to find that after I used it for two days. You hated it. I hated it. I've done that. You remember the one that you made fun of me of that was the Monokai syntax highlighting and everything else was black? Yeah, that one was weird. Yeah, I got rid of that one, I would say, last week. I'm still using uh, my IntelliJ. Let me show you. My, my IntelliJ is using uh, one that I set up. It's it's kind of a rabbit hole. We're developers are fickle people, so we like changing up stuff like that. That's mine. I use that every day. Here, why don't you play with IntelliJ? You never use it. Search for stuff. Look for things. Do you have that? Where are all these little things on the top? Where There's, are all these little icons? There's so many icons. Well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If they could let you, like a lot of them Holy are crap. for. They're four different things. They're like four 
Java build tools and like things that you don't use or like the material theme thing. IntelliJ is only, by the way, if you do use IntelliJ, it is only useful if you install the material theme. Really? It's amazing with the material theme. It looks like garbage without it. I've seen WebStorm with like the default because a lot of your coworkers like WebStorm. They like Dracula and I don't know, Darkula or whatever it is. Darkula, like the standard whatever. Yeah, I hate the colors. It's a little too gray for me. It's like I pastel like a, and see, I I figured out through my years and years and years of digging through uh, color themes and messing around with them that I want as close to a pure black background as possible mm. on my actual files. I want everything else around it to be as close to that as possible. So I kind of have this like consistent dark background for everything. I want my file names and things to be as dark as possible, but still legible. Same thing with my tab names. And then with syntax highlighting, I think the main thing is that I want like very distinct colors for different things. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I want is that I'm seeing this in some of the code that you're writing. The actual text that goes between like an HTML tag that gets rendered, I always want that to be as close to white as possible. Like the 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 invisible spaces? No, like the like text. Like if you have like an H1 and you put some text in there, mm-hmm. I want that text that's in between the H1 tags to be as close to white as possible. I don't do that. I mine. I like I like a lot of. Uh, well, you can see I like a lot of laser colors. Laser colors are good. And the cool, the other cool thing about IntelliJ that is kind of annoying because you have to really configure it is that for every single language that it understands, it actually understands the language. So like it will figure out in Java that constants are constants and PHP will be like, oh, that's a constant or that's a, you know, that's an interface. Interfaces are highlighted differently or the, the method of a function, like if there was a local variable to a function, the let is a different color if it's inside of a function. If it's like a locally scoped variable, it'll start to try to like figure out the scoping. So it'll say like, if this function is a function that's defined outside of a class and it's like essentially global to that light, that module, it'll have it be a different color. The name of that function is a different color than the function that's with a class of a React component or whatever. Like it really understands languages. Are you still using ligatures? Yeah. Why? Though? I use code with, uh, I use, ha- I think I use hack with ligatures. I don't know. I, I see a fat arrow that does not have a ligature. Maybe on it's it. turned off right now. I don't know. That's the other thing is it always turns settings off. Just randomly? No, like at a certain time. Whenever That's you weird. Up, like I, when you update, it'll turn off ligatures and stuff. I, I don't, don't know. know. I like that. You know, I, I've used it so much that like I just know it and like I know that there's certain things that I can do in it that I can't do in like the other thing is it, it, it really can it can run in Vim mode, which I know VS Code can, but like it Sublime had that too. It did, but the the thing that I didn't like about, uh, I think it was even, maybe it wasn't VS Code, but I think it was Adam's Vim mode is you could just hit tab and it would break out of it. Like it wasn't like a thing that it actually knew how to do. Like you would just hit tab, 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 and it would let you insert. It would break into insert mode. That's terrible. That's so not what Vim is about. That's yeah, like I don't antithetical know. to Vim. That's so weird. I don't know if that's what it was supposed to do, uh, but it would do it. The one thing that was really annoying about IntelliJ for a while is that you couldn't really theme like the left bar or the bottom bar or the top bar, but that's what I'm saying. Like if you use material theme, you lit like he styled everything like beautifully. I want to figure out that guy's name. Hold on. The, cause I want to give him a prop because I've been using that thing for ever. Yeah. One good thing about visual studio code is that since the whole thing's built in JavaScript, you can actually, uh, 
configure all those colors for those different parts in just a big old JSON object. And they give you all the props. And it, it can get really it's super really hairy. annoying. It's very annoying. And there's a lot of stuff to keep track of. But I have done, like you said, some very kind of rudimentary changes to certain parts of the editor tuned to what I like, to, to what I like. But those have never stuck. I think that we're just forever going to be in this constant state of, yes, I like this. Yes, I want something different. I don't think we'll ever settle. I don't think they'll ever be like the one true syntax highlighting scheme for me and my code editors ever. Uh, that's the thing is like, I've been on this one for, because I'm like, I, when I look at something and I start to dislike the way that it looks, I have to change it. Like, cause I just stare at it forever. Like I stare at the code all the time, but this one I, that I have right now with these hot, these like really lasery colors, I've been using it for like a year and it doesn't bother me. Why does my Monokai bother you so much? I've though? looked at Monokai. I had Monokai on Sublime for like four years. For those that don't know, Monokai is the name of the default color syntax highlighting that comes out of the box with uh, Sublime Text 3 or Sublime yeah. Text just in general, I think the whole time. It's very pinkish and yellowish and bluish and what, orange? Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's like a bright blue. There's like a pink. There's like a yellow. My my Sublime like is on... My Sublime right now is on Material Pale, Pale Midnight, Theme okay. Pale Night. I mean, I've pretty much now. been using Material across the board. It's just, it just, like, I don't really like, I'm not a big fan of Material Design for, like, life. <laughs> but I mean, it's not it's not, not pleasing. It's just, I You're don't You're talking know. about the Material like syntax Google. highlighting but versus like, the Material Design, Google Design. No, this, These are two different things. But the syntax highlight for Material for editors is influenced by Google syntax. It is, yes, that's Google's true. Google's Material theme. So it's like, but yeah, there was somebody who made, like, the, traditional material theme like syntax highlighting situation on I think it came out on Atom that was back when like material was becoming popular was when Atom was out so they made uh, they made it for that and then it kind of became popular but you see even on Sublime like it can't figure out where that connected router ends in that Gatsby code right there yeah that's weird but, and it knows that it's Java, it says JavaScript next. Maybe it needs to be. That's strange. JSX. I don't know. Like Maybe Redux or something. I don't know. Usually it's pretty good about figuring that stuff out. No, it, it, uh, it, uh, it works when I go to JSX. I just looked, I'm on one called Oceanic. I've used, I've used all of them. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just. I've used a lot of different ones. I've definitely kind of clustered, I would say around Monokai based ones, clustered around uh, material ocean based ones. Ocean is like a, I think a popular one. I've used, um, used the ocean. I used one for a very long time called Hyperterm black, which is like I was saying, the background is almost completely black all the way around. So the file backgrounds are black. The sidebar backgrounds are black and you just have like icons and text that are maybe one or two shades lighter than black. So you can actually see the contrast, but it was tons and tons of black. And it, what that does for me is that it, all the, important pieces of text kind of jump out and that contrast helps me figure out what the hell's going on and then stuff that's less important just kind of fades in the background a little bit more which I really really liked so that one was good um, it's definitely a personal preference thing I mean you're never going to be like as much as Greg wants to be like Monokai is stupid there's no such thing as a stupid color syntax I, it's not stupid I've just I've just used it so much that I don't really care for it 
But like the thing, the interesting thing about me is that I I use IntelliJ for anything that's like a legit project. So I will use it for like any big project that's more substantial than just like a script. Anything that's like a mono repo. Even if it's like this project I'm working on right now, this little tiny Gatsby site, like I will use it for that because it's just anything that I can consider like a project. But then if I'm like editing someone else's, like if I don't want to create, I guess this is really the, the, the line that I draw. If if it's something that I don't want to create like a, a um, like a like an actual project for, like you know how like Eclipse used to have like a project file and so does... Uh, what was it? Aptana Studio used to have a project file. I remember that one. It was the cool version of Eclipse. You never used no, that? No, I never used that. Oh, man. Aptana I remember S- Eclipse. Aptana Studio was like the Aptana Editor Studio thing. That thing was like the cool version of Eclipse. This is just like Greg's greatest hits. I've used a lot episode. of editors, man. You, you know. What's the other one? Smoltron? It has 6,143,346,000 downloads. Aptana Studio. So I don't know. That was oh, is that good? Is that a lot? Yeah, you know, there's the, like maybe they're counting uniques. I don't know. It, that's just what it says here. But like Aptana Studio, like I I use that. Oof, I don't have a valid SSL. Uh, Aptana Studio, um, I used for a long time, and it's basically Eclipse, but designed more for web. Essentially, is what it is. Interesting. It's a web ID, and then I switched to Sublime. But what I was getting at is that I used IntelliJ for a long time and then I was using Atom at one point in time as my like scratch pad editor is kind of what I refer to it as. Like whenever I pull someone else's repo, I open it up in whatever that editor is, the scratch pad one. So I was using Atom for a long time and then I switched to VS Code and then I switched back to Sublime. And the, the, where I'm at right now actually is that I kind of use either VS Code or Sublime, but... If I'm actually building a project, I'm going to use, like if I'm building a Laravel project, I'm using IntelliJ. If I'm using, if I'm building like any kind of like legit project that I'm going to be working on for more than like a day or two, I use IntelliJ. But if I'm going to open something really quickly as a Scratchpad editor, I might as well use the fastest Scratchpad editor there is, which is Sublime. So I've started to use Sublime more. So the difference is that the other kind of setup things that you have to do in IntelliJ to set up a quote-unquote project, the work that you're doing on the project has to be worth those additional steps. Well, it's not set. No, there's no setup. It actually creates a setup file. But you have to pick like a, a bunch full, of like... No, you just stuff. open the stuff. But it creates like a... It runs in either two modes. It runs in project mode, but then it creates like kind of like code creates a, a code folder with like caches and stuff. Yeah. It creates an .idea folder. Yeah, I've seen that get ignored. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, if I if it's gonna create one of those, if it's gonna go through that process and it's gonna create like an entry in my IntelliJ's recent projects, it better be a bigger project. Right. Whereas, like, if you open stuff in like VS Code, it's just like, oh yeah, you've opened up these files, but You're it's just not like it, ha- it doesn't have a project yeah. view. Like Sublime Text used to have like a project manager, but then you would have to save those project files like in some place, and it was really annoying. But then you can command P through like your projects. That was a shortcoming in VS Code for a while, but they fixed that I think a couple months ago where you can open, uh, you can have a multi-root project. So like if you're not doing a mono repo and you have your, say for example, a PHP backend, a Laravel backend in some directory on your computer over here, and then you've got your React frontend client side stuff over here, mm-hmm. you could have both of those root directories open in the same editor window. 
Yeah, you can do those like views. And you can have it all be one big project. But you can you can also do well, I know it like maybe it was sublime, but you could do like scoping. You could be like, I only want to see these files. I thought that was that was that was a that was a feature of Nuclide, actually. Oh. That was one of the cool things about uh that because Facebook uses like a monorepo for a lot of stuff. Right. They have like either one or many monorepos. But they would have like teams that would want to just be like, I literally only care about like this part. Yeah, that was kind of how that was Nuclide that did that. The legacy project that I worked on at your company mm-hmm. is because there's literally just one directory that has all the view, so all the client side stuff in it, and it's like way down inside the tree, inside the app in the repo. Yeah, I love that source components main. Content. No, no, it's the JCR older version. Root. No, I know. JCR it's, root, it's still main, like, yeah, I don't remember. Content, something, something. That's AEM, components. man. Do but some experience. of the components were in components, and then some of them were in client libs, and then some of the CSS was also next to the component in components, but then some of it was in client libs. It was it was all over the place. That's just the way that that... that that's just the way thing. it is, folks. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's the time that you would want to uh, have... You would want to have less. You'd want to be able to scope it, and that's one of the things that New Clyde allowed you to do. Is you could say like, only show these two folders. Like I know that like, on that particular project, the components are here, and I know that like the SAS is here, so only show those two. Yeah, that makes sense. Hide everything else. Or that like, makes sense. Yeah, and that was pretty cool. I don't know. I Th- just thankfully client side React stuff these days. Uh, directory rise is not too crazy. Is not not too big. So it, it makes it a little bit easier. It can be. get big. <laughs> it can get a little crazy if you've got, like we were saying, a monorepo where you've got some giant PHP backend thing and then like a like 10 bazillion components. But it's not quite as involved in so, as some apps are. So um, the, what I would call the lighter editors, something like a VS Code or a Sublime or even, even an Atom, uh, it kind of becomes a decision, like you were saying, where you have to decide between this full-blown, big, very fully featured thing that might be a little bit slower in some cases. Is it worth setting that up versus going with something fast, going with something light, going with something quick, but maybe not as many features or, I don't know, it doesn't have the syntax that you like or something like that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that IntelliJ does really crazy is that you can actually do refactoring. So, like, it knows that... Even with JavaScript, actually, and PHP, yeah, especially it's like it's better with languages that are actually typed. Like I think it would probably be way better with TypeScript too. But it's like with PHP and with um, Java, you can just highlight like a certain portion of code, and you can say extract a method. The Java stuff that IntelliJ does is insane. Like I've worked on a few Java e specific things in my day um, that are like you know, spring or something like that. And you can just say like, you know, you're starting to write a method and it's getting pretty big. And you know how like in, if you're doing like JavaScript or something in VS code and you're like, I want this one part of this like 100 line method to be its own function. You have to then take the part that you want to be the function, then go say like function, blah, 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 create it, paste that in. And then all the little values inside of that thing that are passed to it or were part of the scope of that function now have to be passed to that function. So you have to sit there and be like, oh, that's an error. Oh, I got to pass this thing in and I got to define it on the function here and then it gets in there and that's cool, right? You got to do all that. In IntelliJ, you can literally just extract it and say extract a method and then boom, it creates a function, figures out what values are scoped and then creates the line where that function is called 
passes in those arguments and creates the function where it's defined and makes those arguments to the function. Interesting. Does all that for you. That's pretty cool. And you can say like surround with um, an if statement. So you can like oh. highlight a one line and be like, I think it's command shift. Like you set the key binding. It was like whatever the refactoring key binding is. And you say surround with if, surround with while, surround with for, surround with for each. You can click on a value, sit the, hit the refactor and say, you know, iterate with for each and it'll do it. It'll set up all the stuff. You could just be like iterate with map and it'll do it. How much of that is based on the strongly typing, the strongly typed features of Java versus any heavy lifting that the editor itself is doing independent of the language? Well, does it really matter? I mean, like they've tapped into, I think it does it with, I guess to answer your question, it doesn't really, it doesn't rely on the strongly typedness. There's certain things it does. Like if you're like extract to interface, then obviously it's using... Or okay. it's using inferring the types and figuring that out. It knows where your interfaces are because it knows like it has first class support for Spring, which is really nice because if you're writing Java these days and you're not using Spring, I don't know what you're doing because Spring Framework is the best thing that's ever happened since sliced bread. It's amazing. It's actually really good. I don't do Java a lot, but Spring is amazing. But it understands Spring. It understands all the beans and all the things that are in Spring. Spring is this thing called beans, Java beans, you know. Java's funny. It has a lot of cool naming, but they have like these beans and this auto registration to beans and like dependency injection to beans and stuff. And it understands all that. So it'll be like, yeah, you know, I know that this like this counter is a uh, superset of the super counter. And it knows that like a timed counter is like an extension of a superset of the other counter. And it can figure out the lineage of things. So it's like, it knows that like this thing is an interface. I don't want to get into Java, but. It'll know that like this thing is an interface that it or that is an interface of a uh, a counter, and it, you can inject any kind of counter you want in. But but IntelliJ understands that your thing is an interface of that, and then it will tell you if it's not an interface of that kind of thing, and if it can't be passed in. That sounds that, a lot like the features that TypeScript gives you in, in yeah, editors as well. But it, it, I, never I, I understand used, it's probably different, but yeah. it sounds very similar though. But the thing is you've never used Java or even C Sharp for that matter, which is where a lot of TypeScript comes from. Those two languages are just like, TypeScript is like a child compared to Java. Well, yeah, but the idea behind TypeScript is to give you some of the advantages of all the cool typing stuff that Java actually does in something like a JavaScript that doesn't have any typing whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, JavaScript is like, Wild West, a really man. bad language. It, it, it's not anymore. It's getting better, but like a language that was made in ten days, and it shows. It, it's uh, it, it used to be very, very bad. If you on ES five, you're like, come on, man. It's just like it's ridiculous. ES six makes it a lot better, but ES six makes it more abstract because ES six is pulling it more towards being a functional language. So it's very, it's like becoming its own thing. And then you take, and then on top of that, you add React, which if you saw that that little bit of news where Abramov was arguing for the the reason for having uh, hooks. And he was saying that he doesn't have anything wrong with classes. There's nothing that he sees wrong with classes, but he doesn't believe that React should be class-based. You see that tweet? No, I didn't. I don't follow out Dan Abramov. Uh, he's kind of a wizard. But he basically said that he has nothing against classes, but he'll continue to use classes essentially only when he needs an object factory with methods. So he's basically saying like, what he's really arguing is that React is not a class-based language, it's a declarative language. It is literally leaning towards being 
React is configuration. It's not code. That's what he's arguing. I mean, that makes sense. So he's arguing that hooks makes you makes React feel more like it's declarative. So you're saying, I'm using this variable. I'm essentially mutating this variable. So why would I create an entire class and bind a context provider for it to it? Have the context provider be wrapped in the render method when I can literally just say use context, which is a hook in React hooks. Makes sense. So like he's basically saying like, well, why would you use classes? But for certain things, he's like he's not like he's not saying like I'm totally against classes. He's just saying for like the ninety percent of well, that's why they were such a big fan of functional components as opposed to class based components. Yeah, because the whole idea behind React is that it's functional programming for client side stuff. Yeah, and the minute you add a class, it's still functional. Like it can extend and take props and do all these things, but under the language, it becomes something different because it's not just a function; it's then a prototype. Yeah. But either way, getting back to like the the language, like one of the reasons why TypeScript is adding these features is because once you give a language superpowers, all you need is an editor that has superpowers to understand those things. And like if you've ever written the closest thing that is not Java to what I would say is the the beautiful thing that Java provides, like I don't want to work in Java every day, don't get me wrong. Like I would be fine working at a company that had a Spring app because it's good stuff and it's decently fun to work on. But the closest thing that I've ever had that gave me that kind of like, wow, this this language like really understands itself and the editor really understands it is Laravel. Because Laravel has all the same dependency injection. PHP has interfaces. It's like still uh, like a hacky language. Like the core of what PHP 5.6 is, is similar to what JavaScript is because they were both built around the same time. So they have the same kind of stuff like... There's methods in PHP that make no sense, like string pause, like string underscore pause, and like all these methods that are really weird, like string pause. Yeah, it's like the position of a string. It's like the same thing as saying like, pretty sure I don't, I haven't written PHP in a long time, but it's like the same thing as saying like what index of 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 like a character. Or there's like, you know, like some of the methods in PHP are like finding a word in another word is the needle in the haystack. It's like literally one value in the documentation and in the code is called needle. And then the other part is called haystack. And the haystack is the array and the needle is the thing you're finding. Like it's literally written like somebody wrote it as like a joke, I feel. <laughs> I think that was always the joke about PHP is that it's kind of a joke. Yeah. And then PHP 7 came around and Facebook's like, no, 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 no. PHP 7 is crazy. It's like a language. It's like a full language. Like good or bad? Good. Like good, good, like crazy yeah. good. Like it's faster. It's written better. It has the same kind of things. It has... It always had interfaces, but like it added a bunch of new things. It's definitely faster and you use less. If you write Laravel, you use less of the weird. If you just go to PHP's documentation and look at the weird methods, there's a lot of weirdly named methods. If you do WordPress, there's a lot of weirdly named methods like the post. Naming things is hard. Literally is the name of the function that you use. Just grab the post out of the global object (laughs) in the middle of a post template you're like the post it's like where the hell did the post come from yeah the washington post or whatever like there's all these weird things inside of php and in wordpress that you're just like what the hell give me jeff bezos from the global object <laughs> no like it was before jeff bezos on the post but like yeah <laughs> yeah please give me, give jeff me bezos. blue ocean from the global object please yeah, blue origin so you like to use intellij for php stuff 
Well, I'm I getting, I'm getting to that. I'm getting, okay. I'm kind of like just joking around and walking around the point, but like the fact that those languages have syntax highlighting is not the reason why IntelliJ is good. IntelliJ is good because they're really, really smart about working around and with those constructs. So what they try to do is they take, let's just take Java because I was talking about it for a while. Yes, Java as a language is very clean. Like it has, everything is defined. Strongly typed. Strongly typed. Public void. It's like literally you're, when nothing is returned from a function, you have to define that nothing is returned. Like it's literally super typed. Yep. Not only that, it has all these other things that, you know, you, you, they've started to add like streams. There's streaming programming and there's functional programming in Java, like Kotlin and there's other languages. Uh, I think Kotlin is somewhat functional and I don't know, there's tons of things. Like it's a very mature language. It's a 15 year old language that has literally everything you'd ever want. It has Apache backing it. It has like tons of, tons of packages, sun packages, Apache packages, like Apache utils. There's like literally anything you'd ever want. They have it as an easy to download jar. You can, the thing that's annoying about Java is you have to deal with like Maven or Ant, which are very hard to work with. But those package managers work and, you know, you can go download like a, a thing off a of Maven repository and you can create a fork of it just like NPM and you can have like a copy of it, do all these cool things, right? The point I'm getting at is like all of those things are built into IntelliJ. Like it literally has a Maven project dependency searching tool built into it. So like if you're working with uh, Java, it has all these crazy superpowers, understands like so many different things. It's cool. So what they did is they said, okay, that works really well. Actually, I think they got their start in C Sharp, which is another language that's very similar to Java. Has this? I mean, C Sharp you mostly write in the real VS Code, but um, Visual Studio. Visual Studio. Sorry, not VS Code, but Visual Studio. Yeah, you mostly write it in that, but you can also write it in their library. But it's more for like open source C Sharp code, not Microsoft stuff, because Microsoft stuff you have to write. In. Visual Studio, but like anything you're writing in the open source language of C Sharp, you can write in their C Sharp editor. And they had all this other stuff for it. Whatever. Point is, that's where they got their start in. And then they did Java, which they did a really good job with. And then they made the PHP one, and they're like, well, PHP has like some of these superpowers, so let's do as much as we can. And then they're like, okay, well, you know, the web stuff's really popular, so we can do, let's do as much as we can with that. But the reason why IntelliJ is getting better and better every day is because of ES6 and it's because of Babel and it's because of these things that allow the language to have some semblance of reality. And that makes it better. But if you were to use it, you would find that it is the best editor. Don't at me. Definitely add them, guys. <laughs> like I use the other ones, but time and time again, if I'm doing anything big, in IntelliJ. Very interesting. I'm pretty much 100% VS Code at this point. It's been really good for me for a lot of client-side JavaScript stuff. It's worked really well for all the React stuff that I do, uh, the TypeScript stuff, even TypeScript in Angular. It worked really well because we did that one project where we did that and it was amazing. It was beautiful and it was awesome. Uh, TypeScript in React, it works really well. It has a really robust extension system so you can do things like Java in it, right? Because mm -hmm. Red Hat... I would never write Java in well, it. Well, yeah. Red Hat, yes, that Red Hat wrote the Java extension 
for Visual Studio Code. So I would, I'm going to go ahead and say Red Hat knows a little bit about Java and knows what they want their code editor to do. Oracle for Java. life, bro. Oracle for life. I'm just kidding. I actually don't know. No, I mean, but the maybe. other, you know, the other thing IntelliJ does, since you're speaking of TypeScript, one really cool thing that IntelliJ does, and I think VS Code does this too, even if you're not using TypeScript, you can install the typings for any library, and IntelliJ actually understands that library. So, like, if you're using Formic, for instance, and you're getting like the Formic bag from a prop and you install the typings for Formic, and it knows that that's a Formic component, it'll tell you the properties of it. Oh, it'll figure out the props. That's it'll pretty figure cool. out the props for it. I think in te- I think VS Code has something similar to that. Like, if you're using jQuery and you're like, dollar sign dot, and you install the jQuery typings or the dollar sign bracket, whatever dot, it'll know all the completes, the autocompletes for it. Which in like, in, in like VS Code, you can install a jQuery plugin, and that will make it understand the functions of jQuery. But with IntelliJ, you don't have to install any plugin. You literally just install the typings. Well, the the VS Code uh, IntelliSense, they call it IntelliSense, but it's a I subset of Visual Studio. I mean, it's a subset of the Because their, their IntelliSense and Visual Studio, just Is real quick, was the yeah. best. It's really That's good. where all this stuff comes yeah, from. Yeah, that's where all of this stuff comes But nobody from. wants to use VS Code. But, Go on. Well, nobody no, can No, Visual use, Studio. Nobody oh. can use Visual Studio because it's Windows only and it costs a lot of money. Anyways. Unless you steal it or you're a student. Oh, my goodness. It would seem to me that Microsoft's <laughs> this is definitely tangential. It would seem to me that Microsoft's path now is not not Visual Studio, but it's Visual Studio Code plus Azure. I think we talked about that in a previous previous show, but I think that's the path. I think that is the one true way for them. GitHub, VS Code, Azure. I mean ecosystem. Boom. Microsoft's Done. Microsoft's this is I'm not gonna talk about this forever at all, really, but Microsoft's edge is literally letting anybody bring whatever you want to to the table and it works. Yeah, that's true. That's why they believe in like the 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 fact that you can have your own cloud and then Azure can work with it. You could be writing code in you could have an old C sharp WCF services Fortran web server application. Not Fortran, but you can have like a WCF services web application and or a ASP.NET application running on your own server and they can expose it as a node in your Azure cloud. And you can watch its uptime and install a little library to it and check its health and it's that's fine too. They just want some of that sweet, sweet cloud hosting provider money that AWS seems to be making so much of. Like they just want to pull some of that in, but they're also not restricting you. Like you said, they're yeah. they're kind of a use as much or as little of this ecosystem as you want. But I don't think they make any money on VS Code. So, well, That's if you kind of as a marketing it. expense as a funnel to GitHub and Azure, it does. But we'll see what I mean, they do with it. But I mean, I think that they're just they're just really good at saying like. No matter what your level is, if you're an open source developer or you're a multi-trillion dollar corporation or somewhere in between, we will work with you. Yeah, I and think they provide tools for everything, and they provide good tools for everything. What are your What are your parting thoughts about code editors, Greg? Make sure you got your color themes in order. Color themes are super important, guys. Color I know themes are very important. <laughs> I know that sounds like a little bit, a uh, little bit vain but it actually does serve a functional purpose of allowing you to identify what parts of code are doing what. I think the one editor we didn't talk about, we should probably mention. What? Vim. Is there really and an like, editor? Uh, have you seen like the Mac Vims and stuff? That like NeoVim and stuff like that? NeoVim that actually like are an editor in your terminal? Yeah. Or they have frames that yeah. pop out and I think run those the are different thing. concepts. Also like the whole like 
Vim versus Emacs Holy War. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Do not add us about that. We don't care. But I mean, there is something to it. Like I have uh, at previous times when, you know, I have like a downtime between a project. I'm like, I'm going to learn Vim. And then I use it for like five minutes and I'm like, that's not how it goes. No. Well, no, like I, I don't use it for five. I just mean like I only have like five minutes to use it and then I have to get on back on a project and then I don't do it. But I have had this constant goal of wanting to learn Vim that I've never succeeded at, but I've gotten better. Like I used to not even be able to, cause like there's certain AWS servers that don't have like Nano or, Nano or Pico or yeah. any of those things on them. So like you, the only thing you have is Vim. So like you have to use it. It's the only thing that's installed with Linux. That's a, that's like open source, I guess. It's hard. And then, you know, you don't have like any of the syntax highlighting because Vim by itself has no plugins. It's not nope. Neo Vim. It's not nope. like a legit thing. It's just Vim with white text. And like for the longest time, I didn't like get the I for insert, control X for exit, save, all that stuff. Like I out didn't. Of, just even quitting out of Vim is an yeah. adventure. The first time that you ever open a Vim on accident on a file and you don't know how to get out, good freaking luck. Yeah, good luck. It doesn't tell you, and you're never no, going to figure it out. You will never figure it you out. You just close your terminal. If you're on a, if you're on a remote box, you just like, yeah. uh, I don't know, close the tab. Yeah. Because you can't exit. No. Nope. You can't like quit the remote session. You just got to close the terminal and be like, I don't, nope. I don't know where that session went. No. Nope. So, I don't know. The funny thing about Vim is that the Gmail web interface, which is super slow and has gotten really bad after a redesign. That's a, that's a tangent. The Google Gmail interface allows you to use Vim I would say Vim-like, Vim-ish keyboard shortcuts for navigating your Gmail inbox. So like the H, H, J, K, and L are up, down, left, and right. Yeah, I've never done that. And then, um, so it's not the full set of Vim controls, but it's very similar to that. that You can navigate up and down. And I can, I'm a wizard at navigating my Gmail inbox with with those keyboard shortcuts, just, just from the home row. Just super fast, and it's great, and it's fantastic. I have never been able to translate that to being able to use a Vim set of key bindings on any of my code editors, and it makes me very sad. So I think the other parting parting thing, which you just reminded me of, that's why I went into the Vim thing, but um, one of the things that I would say is that um, you can use like multiple editors, but one of the reasons why I'm so set on using IntelliJ is that I don't like, no matter how much you can tell me, that yes, in VS Code, there is a JSON file that allows you to set key bindings. I'm sorry, but the key bindings, you can spend a lifetime trying to sync up your key bindings between Sublime, VS Code, and IntelliJ. And yeah, IntelliJ has a Sublime mode and VS Code has a Sublime key bind mode. Which I use. Yeah, but you know, my key bindings that I've been using for years are not pure Sublime. I modified the Sublime key bindings. That's the your keys, fault. Why are you such a weirdo? The keys that I use... They're just the ones you use. Are not the same as the ones that were default on Sublime for whatever reason. They're not. I don't know. Uh, there's certain things in Sublime that are that when I first used it were like not bound to keys that made sense to me. Like you had to hold like shift control and something else. In certain cases, there was like some things that I used more often. I don't know. I For whatever reason, when I first started using Sublime, I didn't like sit down and like really understand the default key map. I made certain keys more accessible to my head and my brain and the way that, that I That was your mistake. Whatever. That was the original sin. That's what I did. And now I'm just used to certain things. Like I'm used to the command palette being command shift P, not command P. I'm used to command P being find a file name or whatever. In guess, command guess o, which code editor has those two things. VS Code, I don't care. The point is, is that 
there's certain there's certain keys that I use, but it's not just like those ones. It's like I use command shift up and down to move lines up and down. And I don't think that's default. I use different, just different keys for things. And it's not even just that. It's like the other thing that I think is a fallacy is that there's a lot of snippet tools in and like ability to set up snippets. I don't use any of those. I don't use any I of did, them. Because uh, they are way too unpredictable. They're always out of date. Like when... It, they're just kind of... They're too dumb. Like they, they do one thing and when I'm doing something that needs a snippet, it almost... It never it, matches it, the snippet. It's different. It changes. Yeah. Like if you're working on... Like sometimes what I'll do is if I'm working on a project that I'm like working on it consistently for like a, a few days and I'm just making a bunch of classes and a bunch of things... I'll actually create new or edit old snippets. So I'll create like a, a React class. I'll be like, you know, RC tab or whatever. And that'll be React class or React F or RF or React functional, right? And then for that particular project, I'll set up a snippet that'll be like, this is a functional component. And then maybe I'll import styles and we'll do all the things that it needs to do. It'll set all that crap up and it'll have like a default console log props return cats like a starting point. as a div a starting place but that starting place doesn't last more than one project it's kind of like we were talking last week about how i don't believe in boilerplates that snippet i don't i don't use it consistently and there's a lot of snippets that i've had in the past on sublime that i've used here and there but then i forget what the damn snippet is and it's not and you're in a different editor you're in a different, it's a different editor project. it's not there it's a different project this is uh, the airbnb style guide not the other one yeah. and like or, all kinds of stuff or the snippet that came with the react library or plugin for VS Code is like old and they don't update it, but you can't change it. It doesn't have hooks. It like. doesn't have hooks or what? Yeah, whatever it is, it doesn't work. You're like one of those people that's like react.component as opposed to import react comma component from react. <laughs> those kind of people, you know, differences in opinion between like the person who created the snippet and you. But the cool thing about IntelliJ is that you can edit any of the snippets and it's not done with like some weird like sublime used to do with some weird json file like back in the day it was it wasn't yeah. like it had like a ui for it you go to a text file and change a snippet vs code i don't even know how they changed them i think it's in a file somewhere but inside of intellij there's actually a place where you can you can add custom snippets per language scope which i think you can do in all the other ones but it has a gui for it and then you can turn off snippets if they annoy you you can just not use them. So it would just change by like file extension or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like R RF for that React functional could mean something different in PHP than it means in JavaScript. Oh. So they have that. That's interesting. The one thing that I've always wanted to do that I haven't done is I've wanted to set up text expander outside of the editor. So if I had like... Yeah, like on your machine. On like the machine. emails and all that kind of stuff, yeah. You can use it for emails, but I've wanted to set up text expander or some snippet library to work apart from the editor. And then maybe if I had time, I would go in and actually set up and maintain snippets. Oh man. But then if I type RC tab or whatever makes it work, no matter what freaking editor I'm in, the same snippet will be there. I've always had that dream, never, never saw it through. But like there's ways to make it work, but I don't know. The thing I would say about editors is Find the one that you really like and just stick with it. And I personally, I'm a big believer in dual editors. Like I don't use just VS Code for something. 
But I would say if you were new and you were going to learn one editor, I would say learn VS Code. That would be my advice. Yeah, I I maybe disagree with the, like the the quote unquote learn an editor mindset. De- every editor definitely has a bit of a learning curve, but I would say that you want to think about editors as like your tools, like your literal tools. Like think of it as a yeah. screwdriver or a hammer. But you're right? not going to have like five hammers. You're going to have one hammer you like with the right. You ever worked in construction? You have one hammer with the right weight that you like. I know mechanics that have. Well, they have to have different tools. I'm saying like a hammer, no, like multiple different. Like ratcheting screwdrivers and like all kinds of stuff. Yeah, not not different sizes, like different actual ratcheting ones. Like well, they have like, one that's longer, they have one that's shorter. Yeah, to they get different, different parts of an engine. Those are different tools. No, that's not Whatever. what I'm saying. All I'm saying is it's like a tool. Like you're going to, I'm not saying learn one and don't ever use anything else. I'm just saying like spend most of your time configuring and controlling one of them. And for God's sake, use some kind of config, like plugin configuration syncing tool. Yes. Do not not turn that thing on because, you know, if you switch between computer, the other thing I would say is I have never been able to get settings to sync between two computers. Going to have a bad time. The only time I ever got it to work was Dropbox with Sublime. I put all of my Sublime config. I actually saved it on Dropbox. Yeah. The way I do mine and this, we got to, we got to get going here. But the way I do mine for Visual Studio Code is I use a plugin called CodeSync. Yeah, I've used it. Which allows you to read uh, independently your extensions, your key bindings, and your settings in the three different JSON files. I keep those files in my Dropbox. Mm-hmm. So any computer that I have my Dropbox, I have my settings on. Yeah, I have them in my dot files. So it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy. But yes, try out all the different editors. Don't be it, 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 editors are not the kind of thing where like one editor will make you a better programmer. IntelliJ will. Another. No, it won't. Yeah, well, no, it won't. Yeah. It only will if JetBrains pays us money to say it will. No, I mean, it will literally make you better. No, I don't think it will. You've never used it, so I don't know. You'd, I have like, used it. You've not really used like IntelliJ. It. How long did you use it for? I didn't really like it. How long? Uh, maybe like a month. Which one? WebStorm or IntelliJ? I use WebStorm. Yeah, that's why. I'm all, I'm running client yeah. code anyway. That's all I'm doing. Well, just wait till you, you know, wait till you need to write a really, really big thing. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, try them all. And then stick on one. It's all personal preference, folks. Use what you like. Don't let Greg Parsons shame you into using something I'm not going to shame you. I'm just saying try them all. You'll find which one you like. Just try them all. Use the ones that you like. Don't let Greg tell you otherwise. That, that's my advice. But usually what will happen is you'll find one that you like or like that works really well for your workflow. And then you'll start to get really, really good with it. And that point is where it'll accelerate your coding. So that's our advice. Greg. You have a pick first this week. Do you want to go three for three? You go first. Three three weeks in a row. Three Actually, in a row. Uh, do you have a pick? Please tell us you have a pick. I didn't think of one. You didn't think of one. No, oh, jeez. Okay. I told I you a, earlier, and I have I a didn't. couple of picks. Um, they are both video game related. So, last weekend was the 2K publisher sale on Steam. Why didn't you tell me this? Um, I check Steam every day. Why don't you? I don't. I mean, I have especially like, on the weekends because they have, have like publisher sales games. on the weekends all the time. I have like nine games waiting to be played. Anyway, 2K publishes uh, a bunch of things, but the main thing that they publish that I was interested in is the is NBA 2K19. Oh, so it's sports and yeah. NBA uh, playgrounds. And so I was originally just going to buy NBA 2K19 for the 19.99, but then I went to the page and it said you can buy both these games for 24.99. I said yes, I will take that. So I bought those. Uh, the NBA games are more tuned towards using a like an Xbox controller, 
rather than a keyboard and mouse. And so I've been playing that. You'll like this, Greg. I've been playing that that game on Windows primarily rather than my Linux OS. Where you're supposed to play games. Yeah. And it's been really fun. It's been really good. Um, NBA, uh, the NBA 2K series has been a franchise that's been really, really good for a long time. So that was worth checking out. I don't know if those those are probably not on sale anymore. But, but if you cannot find those on sale, the Square Enix publisher's sale was this past weekend as well. And they are the publisher for the Tomb Raider series. And so the newest Tomb Raider game went down to... Went back down to twenty nine ninety nine. Mm, yeah, I got this that a while weekend. ago. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I checked this morning and it's still twenty nine ninety nine. So that is also worth picking up. Um, I'm still actually on the second Tomb Raider game, but I'm really looking forward to playing the Man, third you one. You need to you need to play more games. I need to step it. Up. I've been playing NBA, which is really good. I've been enjoying that one, but I've I've played the first two recent Tomb Raider games, and they've both been fantastic. So I'm looking forward to playing the third one. So those are my picks: NBA two K nineteen and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Both those are on sale. Go check them out. Greg, what about you? Uh, I didn't do anything this weekend except I watched the Oscars. I guess I could use the Oscars as a pick. Are there, were there any, did you agree with the best picture? No. Winner? I mean, I didn't see it, but no. Black Klansman was the best picture. Black Panther was the best picture. Black Klansman. Can you honestly say that Black Panther was as a physical, like a, a movie medium, like a device, a vessel for content and like artistic merit that it was the best movie of the year. Yes. Of 2018, yeah, absolutely. It was better than Black Klansman. Yes, it was. The acting the acting was great in Black Klansman, but the story was, okay, I get it. Uh, great. <laughs> the story was great. The movie was great. The impact of the story of Black Panther is, I would say, this, equal okay, so or greater than I don't want to get Black into Klansman. an argument with you, but... I liked Black Panther. The impact of Black Panther was more cultural than the actual movie, necessarily. Michael B. Jordan, for sure, was the best. Was one of the best supporting actors. Yep. Actors. There's no. I have no idea why he was not nominated. He was so good in that movie. He was fantastic in the movie. Yeah. He was way better than the Panther. Yeah, I don't know about that. He was very good. As a, as a, Although, to be fair to them, there was a, a picture of um, when the people from the film that won were going up on stage. Chadwick Boseman is in the first row of the audience. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan is sitting directly behind him. Yeah. Chadwick Boseman turns around and gives him the... Yeah, and the same thing happened with Spike Lee. On screen, in the frame. And Jordan during, Peele. Yeah, exactly. Because the, like two years ago, the best picture was Get Out, didn't win. That's true, yeah. This year, I think... Okay, you could you could debate... I think that the... See, the Academy doesn't care so much about cultural importance. Like, they don't... They're not going to be like, oh, Black Panther was a very influential film, which it was. It was the costume design for sure deserved to win. Amazing costume design. I think design. it was perfectly directed. Yeah, the director is amazing. Uh, it Best supporting actor. Best supporting actor, which he wasn't nominated for. Best cinematography. I don't know. I mean, there's other movies that it's up there. It's up there with cinematography, right? So it's up there. How can it not be best picture when you have the combination of like four or five? Best cinematography for sure was Roma. That's the only thing it should have won. It literally was. Have you seen? It's amazing looking. That's what cinematography is. The thing about it is that you're never going to have like a. For my opinion, you're not going to have like a Marvel movie that's about like 
a superhero movie that's been so overdone. You're not going to have one of those movies that's like that filmically influential, in my opinion, that it's like the best movie that came I out. I think that that attitude is wrong. That's my point. It was the best right? superhero like, movie that has come out in a long time. It, it, since it, Iron it Man. It was the best sure. movie of, of 2018. This is, this is my point. Is that I don't know. I said the same thing. Uh, that Deadpool should have been nominated for Best Picture. I didn't like Deadpool too. The first one. The first one was good, yeah. The first one should have been nominated, at least nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. I okay. don't know. So you don't pick any of the movies? I'm looking for the... Do you want to the... pick one of the movies? Do you want I... to pick uh, Remy Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody? I didn't really like that movie. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't. it was not the best movie. It was not like... That movie was not... Uh, it was not really, really well put together. Mm. Rami was like in his and his girlfriend in the movie and in real life. They were like some of the best parts of it. Now, all the actors were really good. It's just the movie didn't jive with me. I didn't see A Star Is Born. I actually did not watch more than like twenty minutes of Roma. Vice was good, but it definitely I don't think was the best picture. Um, my girlfriend saw the favorite. Said it was really really good. So I want to see that. So no to Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't. I think A Star Is Born was good. I didn't see it, but I've I've heard that it's good. But I don't think it was Best Picture. Neither was Vice. I, I don't that. think Roma was either. So it's really between Black Panther, Black Klansman, and Green Book. And I really did like Black Panther, but I don't think it's like the best movie of the year. People are saying that the reason why Roma didn't do better is were political. That the voters specifically did not want a Netflix film. Well, there's film there's that. And I don't want to get into that. There's a lot of the politicalness of why. Okay, so if you had to pick one of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture that everybody should go see if they haven't seen, what would you pick? But that's not what makes the Best Picture. Of that's the not year. what I'm saying. I'm saying okay, for your so pick. You're saying in pick in for general. For your pick, if you had to pick <clears throat> one of those five, five, six, I don't know, movies to watch, if you had to recommend one of those movies to someone, if who I had, had to not recommend seen any of one them, that I think that a lot of people didn't see, I would say go see Black Landsman because a lot of people didn't see it. No, just assume you have a person who, is, who hasn't seen any You're of those You're trying to movies. get me to say Black Panther. No, I just want you to just pick one for a pick. If there was one movie from the whole thing that you have to see that has nothing to do with this convo, it would definitely be... Um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Which, which one? What do you mean, which one? It won. Oh, which one? I thought you said which one. Which is like one? Which Spider-Man? Like, which, wait, there's more than one? Yeah, one. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, in my opinion, was probably one of the best movies that I saw last year. You know, that's, uh, I think... But it wasn't enough for Best Picture. I read the thing where it's one of the only times... It's the first time that Disney has not won that category. Yeah. Ever. Since uh, there was two other times. There's one year where they didn't have a film. Yeah. And that was when Rango won. And there was one time that somebody else beat them. And there was one time somebody else beat them. So yeah. it's pretty wild. I don't know. Like All right, so your pick is... No, we already picked Spider-Man. I picked Spider-Man I once. picked the Oscars. You're the one who's trying to get me to pick a movie. I said Just the Oscars. Just pick one movie. Why do no. I pick... I picked the Oscars. The whole Oscars, people should sure. Do. It's a pick. It's a whatever pick uh, I want. People who didn't watch the Oscars probably should have watched it because. Oh my goodness, I had to uh, deal with the traffic from the Oscars, so I'm a little, I'm a little biased. But uh, I mean, it was a little weird. Like they, they had no host. There was a lot of things going on, but I don't know. The performance that Lady Gaga did was pretty amazing. Is is some good things in it. So you want people to go see Black Panther? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I give up on my pick now. Greg, where can people ignore you on the internet? Nowhere. They can't, people can't not ignore you on the internet. Uh, 
Why do you always ask me the same question? Because we got to let people know, know. No one needs to communicate with me on the internet. They what? can communicate with a public function. And if they have a question, they want to know, Greg. They want to be like, hey, Greg, here's a different keyboard that you could try. Hey, Greg, here's this you know, other if that switch. Actually, that's I've said it a million times. If that actually happens, then I'll start being more social on the internet. But Okay. Well, Greg, it, well, folks, if you guys have suggestions for Greg, because he wants to get into keyboards, he wants to learn some keyboard shortcuts, he wants to learn Vim. If you have any suggestions for him, add him on Twitter. At Grigorski on Twitter. I'm Al, at Al Park on Twitter. You can hit me up as well. Uh, the show is at A Public Function. We tweet out every time we have new episodes. Oh, Greg, I forgot to tell you this. We have a new domain for our website. Did you actually sync it up? I actually build? set it up. I actually took the... Did you build a website? I didn't build a website. I just synced it up to the default one that Fireside what gives us. What is it? Publicfunction.show. You just connected the... I literally just set up the DNS. It took 45 seconds. I don't know why it took so long to do it. But anyway, we have a new website, publicfunction.show. All of our episodes, all of our show notes, ways to get in touch with Greg, all anywhere that you would need to get our episodes are there on the web. Feel free to check that out. What else is there? I don't know. What else is there? All right, we're ending this podcast now. Okay. See you next week, Greg. clear early on in her career that she was very very talented Dude, she should have never made poker face if she just what if she just didn't do any of the electronica stuff she it just, wasn't really electronica also that was a concept album i don't know if you understood that i, don't I know like if you she, understand music i like, like what she idea. does now she's a classically trained amazing musician yeah so the thing about everything from her first album which you call quote-unquote electronica which is false it's a, it's a concept album, right? Her name, her nom de plume comes from... Nom de plume? Nom de plume. Stage name. This is a thing. That's what that's what they're called. My new name is nom de plume, Greg. Nom de plume is a... Uh, like a... You know how writers use different names? Uh, like a pen like name? Like Mark Twain. Yeah, pen name. Pen name actually makes sense. Nom de plume. Does... Nom de plume. What the f*** do you think that is? It's, it's, it's pen name in French. Like, that's what that means. Stage name, nom de plume... All that same stuff. Um, de plume. Comes from a Queen song called Radio Gaga. That Nom de Plume comes from that. Her name does. Her name. Does. No, I know. Lady that. Gaga comes from I Radio you meant, Gaga. I thought you meant Nom de Plume and Lady Gaga no. came from the same so, thing. Her first album is almost entirely a reimagination of what Radio Gaga would be in whatever whenever that early two thousands. It would be that kind of type of pop music or the concept of Radio Gaga occurring in I think it was like I want to say it was like 2006 2007 somewhere around then and that's what that album is about but also the way that you know that those songs are actually good and well-written songs is that she had a couple of performances I think on BBC very famously where she performed almost her entire first album just singing with a piano just her playing the piano and singing the songs and they're still great and they're still fantastic so that's how you know it's good music Okay, maybe if I heard that, I'd change my mind. I would look up uh, maybe Poker Face BBC from like 
I don't know, 2008, 2007, whenever that. Here comes Takedown Donuts number two. Tell me something, girl. Oh, my God. 